Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. Well, uh, I'm excited because today we are making a return to one of our favorite message series here called Heroes and Villains. This is, I believe, the third time that we have had this series. It turns out it's coming out to be a sort of an annual thing. How many of you have ever seen the show Heroes a while back? It was a TV show, I think, on maybe ABC or Fox. I'm not sure. But uh, it was really all about how there were heroes that kind of living among us in everyday life. And so we had this idea of, you know what? There are all sorts of people that we find in Scripture scripture that, uh, that we want to learn about and learn from. And so, and then we thought, you know what, there's a lot of people in the Bible who are actually bad examples that we don't want to live our lives by, but we could still learn from. And so that's the idea of where we came from, heroes and villains. And so what I want to say to you is this, is that there are people in the Bible, there are stories that are in the Bible, and I would say they're not just stories. And then there are characters in those stories, and they're not just characters. In fact, they are us. So what we're going to do here is that we are going to return to this series, and while we're here, we're going to explore the lives of some of the heroes and some of the villains that we find throughout Scripture, and I want us to ask this question is, what might God say to each of us through the lives of the people that we're going to be exploring? Some of them are going to be heroes, and others are going to be villains. So for example, we're going to be learning about Cain today. We're going to be studying Ruth next week, the following week, Pontius Pilate, and then we'll wrap up the series at the end of the month with the Apostle Peter. Now, each of them, their lives and the stories that they tell have something to say to all of us, and we can see ourselves in each of those people. And I would encourage you to not just look at this as, as fictional. I would not encourage you to look at them as, um, as, as just these are ancient people who we have nothing to learn from. I believe that in God's word, everything is alive and that we can learn something that is practical and applicable to us today. So today we're going to jump in by exploring a man named Cain. How many of you have ever heard of Cain? Let me see your hands if you've ever heard of Cain and Abel. Like almost everybody, right? Just like just like uh, we've seen with David and Goliath, Cain is known for one thing, and that is the murder of his brother. The murder of his brother. Now, the, the story of Cain and Abel is a strange one and really on its, on its head can be confusing and even frustrating because there are all sorts of questions that come out like what would cause someone to kill his own brother? What could possibly drive someone? What would be that bad that he would kill his own brother? But, and, but I think the, even the greater question for us today in 2017 is, is what could that possibly have to do with you and I? Because I don't think that, as far as I'm aware, none of us in here have murdered our brother or sister. So what is it that God would say to us today through someone like Cain? Well, that's what we're going to explore today. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Genesis, the book of Genesis. Um, If any of you don't have Bibles, we have them for free, okay? So right down here in the front, as well as uh, in the lobby, we have free Bibles that I would love for you to take. No one should leave today without a free Bible if you don't have one. So please, this is the core of everything we do here. So we have free Bibles for you. And uh, also with that, if you're new to faith uh, in Christ and you want to know how to grow deeper in your faith, we have these books called Learning to Follow Jesus. It's just a seven-day guide to beginning your journey with Jesus. I would encourage you to pick those up. They're both available at the Connection Center. So we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 4. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. 
And it is the biblical account of humanity. Where did we come from and and who are we? And if we actually see throughout Genesis and really through the rest of the Old Testament about humanity, a lot of times we kind of overlook in modern Christianity, we overlook the Old Testament because we feel like it's just a history book. But in reality, the message that we see all throughout the Old Testament is the story of us as people in modern day. It's a story of a God who shows us who he is. He loves us. We get distracted. We mess up. We fail. We disobey him. Our life gets into a mess. It gets crazy. God comes back to the rescue. He has grace and love for us. We thank him. We worship him. We screw up again. And it's this cycle that comes over and over and over again. And none of it stops until we meet Jesus. That's the story. That is literally the story of the Old Testament. And then it's the story of the New Testament. And as I said earlier today, everything in the Bible points to one thing. It is who Jesus is and that he has come to stop the cycle and gives us a way out. And I love it. And so Genesis chapter 4, we pick up in verse 1. But in Genesis chapter 3, right before it, Adam and Eve, the famous story of Adam and Eve, had just been expelled from the Garden of Eden. And sin, for the first time, had been introduced into the world. And now we pick up in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1. And let's read this. And it'll also be on the screen here as well. It says, Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife. Man, that sounds romantic, doesn't it? His wife was Eve. And she became pregnant. And when she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. And when they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. Another word for that is farmer. And when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Verse 6, Why are you so angry, Cain? The Lord asked him, why do you look so dejected? Pause. At this point, I'm thinking, well, why do you think, God, I brought you a gift and you rejected it? But I think there's more to the story. Verse 7, you will be accepted, Cain, if you do what is right. So something happened. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin that we mentioned began in the world in the last chapter is crouching at the door, eager to control you but you must subdue it and be its master. So one day, Cain suggested to his brother, hey, let's go out into the fields. Sounds like a good idea. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? It sounds a lot like what we saw in the last chapter where Garden of Eden, the apple or the the fruit has been eaten, and God says, Where are you guys? I haven't seen you. God obviously knows what's going on, right? But he's engaging. I love that about God, is that he always seeks us. Do you see that in this chapter right here, this verse? He's always coming for us. When when we know and we're hiding and we're like, I know what I've done and I don't want anything to do with it, he seeks us out. I love it. Where is your brother? Where is Abel? And like most of us do when we know we're ever guilty of something, I don't know. Cain responded, am I my brother's guardian? We hear that all the time. Am I my brother's keeper? That's not a good thing to say, by the way, because it's usually an insinuation of guilt. But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. 
no longer will the ground yield good crops for you. And no matter how hard you work, from now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. So after I read this passage, and maybe this is the first time you've actually read it, perhaps. Maybe most of us have heard the story, but maybe you've never actually read it uh, all the way through. I was left confused. I, there's a lot of stuff that happens in a very short period of time in this scripture. Not really sure what to make of it. How do we make sense of this passage of scripture? So in the, in the first glance, there are two brothers, just seem like everyday guys, right? There's nothing really special about them except that they're the first uh, offspring that we see in scripture. One of them became a shepherd and one of them became a farmer, both very common uh, occupations for the day. They're in early civilization, all you really had was what you could produce in the ground and the sheep or the goats that you had that you could raise either for food or to sell for money. And the same thing was true of your farming. That was really all you had. So you had pretty much two or three occupations. And so they had normal occupations. Both of them presented an offering to God. So Abel did. In fact, it said Cain did it first. Now, we don't know if that's literally the order. The point is that they both gave an offering. But one offering was accepted and the other one was rejected. And this place is where the story takes a very dark turn. And so we're left with a bunch of questions. Right after that, the first question is, is what was it that caused Cain to become so angry? Was it, was it enough to kill his brother that, that God just said, no, I don't accept this? I mean, that seems strange. It seems odd. Why did he kill his brother? What was the reason that Abel is dead now because of his own brother? What is the difference? I mean, I'm left with the question, what was the difference with the two offerings in the first place? Why does it matter, right? And why did God respond in such a seemingly harsh way? I mean, I understand, like, he murdered his brother, so that's a big deal. But the rest of the passage actually talks about how Cain says, like, this is too much for me to bear, and people will kill me because they're going to see me, and they'll know what I did. And God says, no one's going to kill you. I'm going to put a mark on your head. You can read that later, and people will know that you are mine and that, that I, you can't be touched. And, and so Cain was destined to live a life for the rest of his life in sort of like a useless wasteland of living. Why did God respond in such a just dramatic way? You know, for a long time, I was really confused by this account. I didn't understand really what the big deal was with the offerings. I, I didn't understand. I actually felt bad for Cain. I thought, this guy got a raw deal. He provided a gift. I'm like, man, I thought like, if I'm going to give a gift to God, then like he's going to be happy about it. And then for some reason, it just says he was rejected. Now, I'm not for an instance um, suggesting that his actions were warranted. Of course not. But I feel like, but I feel like the way that God responded like seemed seemed unfair too. And like, I could understand how it kind of led maybe to his anger, but I felt like Cain got a bad deal at times. But you know what? As I've studied scripture over the years, and I've really began to understand that there's more to the story that we see in Genesis. In fact, I've also, as I've grown up and I've experienced a little bit more of life, what I've actually seen is how often little things can turn into big things if we're not careful. And I think for us to really be able to make sense of this passage, to understand what the problem is and what the message is for us, we need to look at two other passages of Scripture that actually tell us more about the other brothers. Did you know that there are other Scriptures that mention Cain and Abel? There are actually other ones. Most people don't know that, and that's why we always end up confused about this passage, because it doesn't seem like we're given all the information. 
But what we're going to do is we're going to read those. And from there, I think we're going to find an important message for each one of us to consider. So the first one is in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, if you have your Bibles, turn there. Hebrews is a book in the New Testament. It was a letter written, most people think, by the Apostle Paul. Others think maybe it was by Luke and a couple other things. But the message is solid. It talks about the sovereignty that Jesus Christ is enough. And in this passage, in, in this chapter, it's talking about faith and all of these individuals. And then it mentions Abel here in Hebrews 11, 4. So we're going to learn something about the two brothers here. In verse 4 of Hebrews 11, it says this. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. So right there, we see that there's more than just like the quantity, you know, involved. It was faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. And although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his examples of faith. So right away, we see here that there was more to the two offerings than just quantity, more than just timing, more than even maybe the quality of the gifts, right? That, that there's something else going on. And we see that Scripture paints Abel as a faith-filled and righteous man. But what about Cain? What do we learn more about him? So if, if Abel, that helps us. Okay, I could see why Abel was, was given this, this accepted of the offering. And then now we see that there was something about him. But what about Cain? In 1 John Chapter 3, verse 12. This is not the Gospel of John. The same guy later wrote three letters to the Christian church, and they're called 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So in 1st John, chapter 3, verse 12, we see this. He says, we must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one. Okay, that's interesting. And killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil. So right there we see Abel, faith, righteous. Cain had been doing what was evil, and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So really, what was going on in the story here? What was really going on? Was God just nitpicking? Was he going, um, sorry, I asked for mint, and you gave me this plant instead? No! What we see here is that there was something else happening in these two offerings. Something else was going on. In verse 3 and 4, I think we see a little bit of a clue. Verses 3 and 4 in our original passage in Genesis 4, it says, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift. Abel brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. So the writer here seems to be zeroing in on there's a difference between the offerings, but what was the difference? And as I was studying this week, I was looking through commentaries and digging deeper, trying to really understand, and there's a scholar by the name of Kyle. His last name is Kyle, and this is what he wrote, and I like this. Kyle finds, as a sign of this difference between the two offerings, that Abel's thanks, like as a thank offering, comes from the depths of his heart while Cain's offering is only to make terms with God from the choice of his gifts. And then he continues this, the offerings themselves have indeed no significance in themselves considered, but only as expressing the difference between a free and joyful faith in Abel and a legal, reluctant state of heart in Cain. There seems to be, it's not just about what was given, it was what was behind the gift. At the time, during harvest time, it was the custom to say, thank you, God, for what you have produced in my life. I'm going to give you an offering of thanks. And it seems as though Abel said, 
I'm so grateful. Thank you that you've given me this. I'm going to take a portion of the best of what I have and give it to you as a thank you to say, I love you. Thank you. And it appears as though Cain said, um, I've got some leftovers in the closet here. And he brings it over and he puts it there expecting to get the same result from God. And instead he didn't. I think that's the key to this passage, and it really shows at the very beginning of the Bible, the very earliest thing in the Bible that we see all throughout Scripture, we talk about it all the time here at Encounter Church, is that God always looks at the heart. Always. There are so many passages of Scripture. Jesus, uh, where where God actually says to his people, I don't want your sacrifices if your heart's not going to be in it. I don't desire these things. I I want a contrite heart. I want you to want to give it to me. I want you to want to love me. And I think what happened here is that Abel wanted to please God and brought him the best of what he had, but Cain, on the other hand, brought only what he had to, and he either forgot to or chose not to bring his heart along with him. I think that's what we see. So what is the lesson here? What is God saying to us through Cain and through Abel? I think we see an indication in verses 6 and 7. Back in our original passage, verse 6, God says, Why are you so angry, Cain? Why are you so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. God was saying to Cain, it is not too late for you. I see the road that you're on. It wasn't about the offering. He said, I have seen you maybe even time and time again. Bring me a gift that you have no desire to even to bring me. I don't want your gift if it's not going to be out of, out of gratitude for me. I don't want what you have to give me. I want what you want to give me. I see the sin growing in you, and I see where you're going to head. I know from what we know about God that God saw Abel's death down the road and was warned him. I see what you're going to do. I see it. And he's warning, warning Cain. But when we compare that to the passage that we see with Abel, Abel was a faith-filled man. He was righteous. What we see is really, what, again, what we see all throughout Scripture is this. It boils, all boils down to what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to have a life with God? It really boils down to two things. It's, it's a life of faith versus a life of sin. That's, that's what it all boils down to. All of Scripture points a picture between we have this warring sin that rages inside of us. It causes us to push us away from God, pushes us away from others, leads us to destruction. And God is saying, there's a better way. Follow me. Choose righteousness. Choose my way. The way I've created life to be lived. Follow that. That's what all of this is about. The story of Cain and Abel is about a failed man who allowed sin to overtake him and it ultimately destroyed him. It's about the choices that we make. I believe that it's about pleasing God or pleasing ourselves. God was warning Cain. He was war- that warning stands for all of us that sin takes the little things and it turns them into bigger things that ultimately trap us and destroy us. That's what the message is from Cain. And the interesting thing is that in Genesis chapter 3, and this is a great example of this, and it's probably a literary device, and it's really genius, that in chapter 3 we see Adam and Eve, and they were living good lives. And then the serpent comes as representative of Satan, and he tempts them and says, eat this, it's good, don't worry. 
worry, nothing's going to happen. It's a little white lie. Don't worry. No big deal. Nobody will know. It's not going to screw anything up. Ha, don't worry. And he, they take it and then they eat it, right? And now temptation and, and sin is, is now a part of our DNA as human beings, right? But it began there. But look what happens in Genesis chapter 4 now. The working of Satan in Genesis 3 comes out in the fact narrated in Genesis 4 that Cain is the first man to allow sin to control him completely. Do you understand? Do you see what was happening? It starts in a small bite, and it becomes a murder. This is how it works. It's just like quicksand. I was thinking about that. You know, I never really understood how quicksand works until, until I grew up and learned that, I think we have an image of it, actually, that quicksand is, is, is something that you get into it, and it slowly overtakes you. You begin to sink, and the more you wrestle with it and without getting help, you'll ultimately be consumed by it. And I feel like that's the same thing that happens with us in sin as we dip our toes in the quicksand, and we're like, oh, it's fine. I'll just use a hose and, and wipe it off. Before we know it, we're up to our knees, and we don't know how to get out of it, and we get overtaken by it. And, you know, there were a lot of images that I was thinking about putting up here, and they all had people's arms, like, getting out of it. And I thought, my gosh, that's really morbid. But that's... But that's really what quicksand does, and that's the same thing that sin does in our lives. It entangles us. It, every time there's imagery about sin throughout Scripture, it's all about like how it entangles, how it drags us away, how it starts small and it over, overtakes us, it consumes us, it controls us. And it always, none of us start off as a murderer. None of us start off as, as, as thieves. None of us start off as pornographers or child molesters or rapists or, or, or greed individuals. None of us are those people. But it all starts with, with, with little things. It all starts with looking at someone a little longer than we should. It, it starts with, with not being grat- grateful for the things that we have and always wanting more. It starts with never having enough. It starts with being angry. You know what I mean? It, it always starts somewhere. And God was looking at Cain, and he was saying to him, watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, and it is eager to control you. And what does he say to him? Do what is right. Subdue sin and be its master. Otherwise, it will be yours. That's what God was saying to him. That's what he's saying to us today. So the question really then for us is, how do we do that? How do you and I subdue sin? How do we make it, how do we make ourselves the master of sin? How do we put our heel over the neck of sin in our lives? Well, we take our cue from Abel. Let's go back to Hebrews 11, verse 4. I think we see a clue in here. It says, it was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man. His offering stemmed from who he was already. And God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. So how do we subdue sin and be its master? By faith, we have to choose the opposite of our sinful desire. That's the prescription that we see all throughout, throughout, all throughout uh, Scripture, is that, is that sin wants me to hold my money, right? Sin becomes greed. It wants me to, to hold tight. So what is the prescription that we see in the Bible? Generosity. Give it all away, right? The opposite of the sinful desire. You offer it in faith. Now, the question is, you say, but, but I need my money, 
Like, I have to pay my bills. I, I can't just give everything away and not care about, about what I have. But that's why it's faith. And I'm not in no way suggesting you just got to empty your pocketbook and, like, you know, write a check to something. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is you can't let it control you. You will either be controlled by a form of greed or fear or, or, or scarcity. You will hold on to your money or any other thing, okay? It could be, it could be love. It could be sex. It could be um, your, your career. It could be your family. It could be your time. Whatever resource we're talking about here, if you hold it, if you, you covet it, you, you, you want to keep it and wrap it around in a fence so that no one can touch it, that is a form of greed. It is a form of fear, right? And you hold on to that stuff, it will entangle you, and before long you realize you are controlled, you are gripped by it. What is the prescription that we see in Scripture? It is generosity. It is open. Give it away. Say, this is not, I don't need it. This is not mine. I don't care. And that's what Abel did. Abel said, God, you've given me all of these sheep. You've given me all of these goats, and they're awesome. Thank you. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you the best of the firstborns. Those are the ones that he could make the most money from. That was the first of his business. He could take this, oh, look at this beautiful, it's like a show dog, you know, like, at, like on Thanksgiving, they've got that dog show. This is, these are, that's what these are. These are the purebreds, the ones who are beautiful, the ones who are, who are going to be the best of the stock that he would sell and make all his money from, the, the bulk of his money. And what does he do? He gives them to God. Why? Because he saw his brother, who seemingly had issues with, with gratitude and gratefulness, and maybe, maybe all throughout his life, we don't know this, but you can insinuate it, that perhaps because Abel was righteous and he loved God, and he said, God, you have given me everything. And then he sees his brother working his butt off out there in the, in the ground and tilling and trying to raise crops, and he's never made enough money as much as he wanted. And maybe Cain complains all the time, like, man, I don't ever have enough. Abel, I'm frustrated because you seem to always have enough. And Abel's like, I just put God first. And, and Cain is over here getting angry and getting frustrated. because, But all the while, he's missing the whole point. And that is that Cain, if he would just say, God, I'm giving you the best that I've got. I'm trusting that you will take care of what I have. You will give me everything that I need because you, you have promised that you would. I have a feeling that Cain's life probably would have ended a little differently. I have a feeling that Cain probably would have been, would have been, would have been lifted up and exalted like Abel would have been. But instead, he chose to allow himself to live in scarcity. He allowed himself to live without faith, to be angry. And it turns into bitterness. It turns into anger. It turns into greed, and one day he was tired of it. And God said, enough, son. Cain, I'm tired of you bringing me gifts and mean nothing to you. He was just trying to say, I want to help you. And Cain went the other way. He jumped off the deep end and murdered his brother. It didn't start in one day. It became over a lifetime of choices of allowing his sin to grow inside of him. Until we see in 1 John where it says he was controlled by the evil one. I mean, you, you got to be pretty far gone, I think, to be controlled by the evil one, right? A series of choices, series of choices. By faith, we need to choose the opposite of the sinful desire. Abel cut off sin at the source and he leaned into faith. He said, I, I trust God that you are my provider. I'm going to give you the best because you deserve it. You have given me everything. I'm putting you first. That's, that has financial, um, financial principles for us here. I believe in that but I also believe it with my time. I believe it with the way that I live my life. I put God first. I'm going to give him the best of my, of my gratitude. When I worship, I come to him with a heart of gratefulness. You know, 
I talk about him as, as how he has changed my life. And it's so easy for us to allow sin to crouch at the door and to control us when we, when we make our problems the center. That's what we're doing. We're allowing the things that are frustrating, the things that are hard, the things that are difficult. And I am not downplaying any of them. But we, when we put those at the center and we put Jesus over here on the side, we're allowing sin to, to get footholds in us, to control us, to make us feel as though those things are most important in our lives. Abel put to death the sin that could have controlled him, but Cain allowed the sin to grow within him and ended up losing himself in the process. So the story of Cain for us is a cautionary tale for all of us. Sin takes the little things and turns them into bigger things that ultimately trap us and destroy us. But through faith, we can master sin and we can be accepted by God. It's all about life of faith versus a life of sin. So where does that leave us today? What is the big idea for this whole message? If our worship team wants to come back up. The big idea, and we're just kind of the center of this whole message, is that the heart is what matters. The right actions will follow. We will live our lives, our behaviors will come from a place of our heart. If I am in love with my wife, I serve her. I take care of her. I want to do nice things for her. I don't mind doing a bunch of things that are, that are because I care. But if I'm angry, if I hold bitterness, I'm probably not doing those things, right? This is the same thing that we see here through Cain and through Abel. God looks at our heart and then the right actions will follow. You want to be like Abel where it says he, had, he was filled with faith and he was righteous and his, his gift was accepted in, because, it was, because he lived a righteous life. The heart is what matters. The right actions will follow. Would you all stand with me today? close your eyes. We're just going to take a moment to just, you know, kind of talk with God just for a moment before we respond through worship and giving. God, this lesson is heavy. It's, it's hard. None of us, I think, in the room, myself included, feel like I'm a bad person. None of us feel like we have gone as far off the deep end as someone like Cain it can be difficult for, for us to, to identify with the situation. It can be really hard for each of us to, to put ourselves in the shoes of this person. I, I, for a moment, though, I just want each of us maybe to just take a quick second and try to remember a time where we lived out this principle that, that something small became something bigger that we didn't control. I can think of a variety of things in my life over the course of my life. You can see this, this, this principle in action. God, would you enlighten our hearts? Would you show us now what, what it, remember us? Help us to remember those things. Help us to now see the sin that, that lives inside of all of us. It's never eradicated. And I'm thankful that you have come. I'm thankful that, that, that Jesus was sent to give us a choice, that we could say no to those things. Thank you that the Spirit of God lives inside of each of us who call Jesus Savior. I thank you that we have the option, we have the ability and the strength and the power to subdue sin, to, to become the master of our sin. God, I pray that maybe for the first time, somebody in this room today, for the first time, heard it said this way, that they can actually control their sin, that they can say no to it, that they can live a life of faith, that by faith they can be accepted. 
That's right. Maybe someone in the room needs to hear that today, is that God loves you, that you can be accepted by him. He does not judge you. He does not reject you. And you might look at that from the very beginning. You might look at that passage of scripture with Cain and Abel and say, well, God did reject Cain. But no, he rejected his behavior. He rejected his false heart. And then he said, you will be accepted if you do what is right. Each of us, all we have to do is say yes to the ways of God, say yes to Jesus, and we find what we're looking for. And instead, so often, we, each of us, even in our daily lives after we know Jesus, we, we think, I'm going to do my way. I'm going to do it the way that I've been taught or the way that I was showed or the way that I want to do it. And we end up in bigger messes and more frustration. And he just says, come to me by faith. The songs that we sang this morning, I need help, God, I need help. And he says, come to me, trust me. I will show you the answer. I will do what is best. Just trust me. And trusting him means stop. Stop doing the things that he's telling you to stop doing. Trust me. I will make a way. I will tell you what to do. I will give you direction. Listen to me. We have to spend time with him before we can do that. So just right from your chair this morning, right from your chair this morning. If you want to know Jesus, just put your hand up and I want to pray for you. If you want to know him, amen. I'm not going to make a big show of it. I just want you to know this man who has changed all of our lives. He will change yours too. Anyone else? Just lift your hand up. Anybody else? All you got to do is just, the Bible says you just declare that he is Savior, that he is God. Just say that with me under your own breath. Jesus, I believe that you are God. Forgive me. Help me to walk the right way. Come into my life. Let me follow you. And now you are a member of this family. You're a member of the family of God. For for all the rest of us in the room, every one of us, this is a battle every day. Cain literally lives inside of each of us. His actions, his heart, the, the symbol of who Cain is, is what we wrestle with every day. Jesus. We accept you. We we ask you, be in the center of our lives. Be in the center of my life. I want to make you first and foremost. I want to live by faith. The things that I struggle with, I want to do the opposite of those things. I want to go so far away from the sin in my life. Help me to master it. Help me to subdue it. Show it to me. Call out to each one of us the areas of sin in our life that we say no to. And then give us the power of the Holy Spirit to subdue it, to become its master. To grow in faith and to be, we want to be like Abel. We want to be long after we're dead and gone. That our children and our grandchildren and those after them say, I remember the faith, the righteousness of my dad, of my grandfather, of my grandmother. Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond now by just singing a chorus. Let's worship God. Give him what he deserves. We'll come back in a moment to, for our giving moment. All that I have, I give. All of my life, I live. All for the one. Oh, for the one who saved me, I will take up my cross. I will pour out my love. Oh, for the one, oh, for the one who saved me. All that I have, all that 
Show us where our heart is. We want our hearts to be right. We want our hearts to be pure. Thank you that you love us, that you ask the question, what are you doing? Where are you going? Let us respond as a child who wants to grow, who wants to be healed. Uh, We're going to go ahead and move into our giving moment if our service host would come forward. We believe that worship is not just about our songs, about our, about our actions, but it's also about putting God first in our finances. This is an opportunity for us to do the same thing that Abel did. He gave the first and the best of what he had. And the reason we say that is we just believe that when we put God first in our finances, that he shows himself to be faithful to us. We will be accepted by him. This is not something we're asking for any of you to do if you don't call Encounter Church your home, if this is not you, or if you're new here. This is for our family who say, I believe in what God is doing through Encounter Church. And everything that's given here goes into the work of the ministry so that more people can encounter God in real life. So as the baskets go by, go ahead and drop your your offering in there. If you have a gift with you today, right in front of your chair is an offering envelope. You can go ahead and uh, put that in there. And that's a tax-deductible gift if you put your information on there. Also, most people give online at EncounterGiving.com. You can also set it up as a recurring gift so that it's given on a regular basis. Um, We're just going to sing one more time as the baskets go by. And if you're new today, we want to meet you. Bring your connection card to the lobby at the Connection Center. We love you. Let's sing. In all that I have, I need all of my life. I live all for the one. Oh, for the one who saved me, I will take up my cross. I will pour out my love. Oh, for the one, oh, for the one who saved me. Thank you guys for joining us today. Thank you for coming. We love you so much. Uh, I pray that you'll go this week and that you will live this principle. Put God first in your life and watch him be faithful and take care of you. In Jesus' name, go. We'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.